Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of the modern monocle. Stopping the copyright bullies from pulling the wall on us. Painting and taking on all the plates to paint to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinizing through their lies and make them fall. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If you've been anywhere around uh, politics and technology over the last couple of years, you've certainly been hearing claims, uh, often from some Republican politicians, that the big Internet companies, Google, Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube, and even Apple, are somehow biased against conservatives. Uh, There have even been a few lawsuits over this, uh, though pretty much all of them have flopped spectacularly. Uh, There's been some talk, in fact, of somehow forcing internet platforms to somehow be more neutral. Uh, Rep. uh, Louis Gohmert even introduced a bill that would strip uh, the intermediary liability protections of CDA 230 from companies that somehow aren't neutral. Uh, Senator Ted Cruz has made the somewhat preposterous claim a few times that uh, CDA 230 now, as it already stands, requires some sort of neutrality, uh, even though that's just wrong, uh, and he should know that that's wrong. Uh, And just recently at the uh, CPAC event in D.C., uh, brand new Senator Josh Hawley claimed that Facebook, Google, and Twitter are pushing a left-wing social agenda while marshalling their marketing power to shut conservative voices out of the marketplace. Uh, Indeed, it seems like it's become some sort of accepted wisdom among uh, some who consider themselves conservative that the Internet is somehow out to get them, or rather specifically the big Internet companies. Now, leaving aside how this seems to flip the script from these very same Republicans who have railed against ideas like a fairness doctrine for broadcast TV and who never seem to have any issues with other areas of media, such as talk radio that tends to lean more in their own direction, uh, there's another big problem here, and that, that there's basically no proof that it's actually accurate that these companies are somehow targeting conservative voices. What certainly is true is that Silicon Valley and San Francisco, where most of these companies are based, a large majority of people tend to vote Democrat uh, rather than Republican, uh, even if there is a, a fairly loud libertarian streak that is impossible to ignore around here. Uh, but when it comes to actual evidence of systematic bias against conservatives and in favor of liberals, it's either uh, strikingly lacking or bolstered with misleading anecdotes or laughably bad studies that don't prove what the people pushing them actually seem to think. Um, Just to cite one example, many people who are making the argument uh, that that, uh, internet companies are biased against conservatives and silencing them point to PragerU, which is the Uh, video effort led by conservative talk radio host Dennis Prager to present YouTube videos on various political topics from him and his friends, uh, well, I'll say unique perspective. Uh, YouTube put some of his videos into what's known as restricted mode, uh, which just means that they were considered not suitable for teenagers, uh, sort of the YouTube equivalent of an R-rated movie. Uh, Restricted mode is used by less than 2% of YouTube users, and usually it's just parents who don't want, you know, little kids to have access to content that might not be appropriate for them. 
Either way, Prager sued, claiming political bias uh, and saying that the sole reason for his videos being put in restricted mode was because of his conservative views. Uh, the lawsuit was very, very quickly tossed out, um, but not too many people noticed a filing by YouTube in that lawsuit that highlighted that it really wasn't Prager used conservative views that were the problem, but rather the adult themes that made the videos deemed unsafe uh, for teens. So some of the videos that were put in restricted mode were things about rape and genocide. Uh, and so you could see why maybe those were inappropriate for children. Uh, in that same filing, YouTube noted that tons of other channels, including those that would uh, most would deem much more liberal than PragerU, actually had a much higher percentage of videos put into the same restricted mode. Only 12% of Prager's videos were classified that way, while 40% of BuzzFeed's got that classification, uh, and a full 50% of John Oliver's Last Week Tonight got the restricted designation, 55% of, of the Daily Shows. Um, so to argue that the 12% of videos that PragerU had restricted was somehow because of its conservative views um, was kind of laughable on its face. And yet, many conservatives still insist that PragerU's videos were restricted over political bias. Anyways, uh, Zach Graves, who is uh, head of policy for Lincoln Network, which is a nonprofit network trying to bridge the gap between D.C. and Silicon Valley from a more market-oriented perspective, uh, is with us today. He has actually written two separate articles on TechDirt debunking supposed studies claiming to prove conservative bias among the big internet companies and has warned, uh, rightly I think, that crying wolf over conservative bias certainly looks bad and could come back to, to haunt people in ways they don't quite seem to recognize. Uh, he's more than willing to concede that there may be some bias, but so far the evidence is lacking. So today he's joining us on the podcast to discuss this question of bias in tech. So welcome to the podcast, Zach. Thanks, Mike. Uh, great, great to be on. And I'd love to talk to you more about this issue since I think this has become a really predominant narrative on the right. As you mentioned, you have you know, a huge range of people from, you know, Fox pundit Tucker Carlson to old yard conservatives like Ed Meese and Matt Schlapp and, you know, even like libertarians like law professor Glenn Reynolds coming at this idea that there's, you know, conservative, anti-conservative bias, that big, it's tied up with this sort of big tech, tech lash narrative, something, I mean, you mentioned Dennis Prager, he had a uh, a kind of a, a strong quote about this. Uh, he says that if you work for Google, you work for a group that is undermining American freedom more than anything that has ever happened in American history. I mean, the <laughs> level, <laughs> the level of hyperbole here is, is, you know, getting a little out of hand. Yeah. Especially considering how much he sort of relies on the technology that Google provides him for free and actually <laughs> gives him money in terms of, you know, advertisements on his videos. Um, that's, uh, that's a quote. <laughs> Um, and, and, you know, uh, you know, I sort of mentioned it in, in the opening, but it strikes me that like, you know, Prager comes out of the talk radio world and, right. you know, there were no real complaints from, well, certainly from, 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 you know, Republicans about talk radio being tending to be heavily biased, uh, in favor of sort of conservative viewpoints for, for decades. So I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, you know at a loss as to why suddenly the internet is like the big evil. 
Well, I mean, you mentioned, you know, Ted Cruz and some of the conversations about intermediary liability for, for platforms. I mean, you know, this idea that they want to resurrect some, you know, some version of the fairness doctrine, but for the Internet, you'd think they would have a long enough memory that, that they remember this is a bad idea. <laughs> and and just for people who don't know, um, either I can do it or if you want to do it, do, do a background on the fairness doctrine, right? So, so the fairness doctrine had to do with broadcast television, which always had some oversight by the FCC. This is because it's it's using, you know, uh, spectrum that was handed out by the US government and two different broadcasters. And part of the deal was because the government is giving this valuable spectrum to the broadcasters, there were certain conditions. And, and one of those conditions was this concept of the fairness doctrine, which was always somewhat problematic. But the idea was that if you're using public airwaves to broadcast political message, uh, political messages of some sort, you have to, you know, show both sides of the story, which is already an issue as if there are only two sides to every story and, and that, you know, there's a way to to fairly show both sides of a story. Um, and so that was there was this sort of at least an expectation that broadcast networks would, you know, uh, present two different sides of, of you know, controversial political topics. Um, and then the fairness doctrine was more or less abandoned in I forget exactly when, but sometime in the 80s, I believe. Um, and you know, there's actually been, you know, over the last decade, there people have on on the right uh, among Republicans. There's been this screaming about how Democrats are trying to bring back the fairness doctrine and how this is really, really problematic and all these things. And it's been this sort of scare story, which was not really true. I mean, um, there are some people out there, but there was never any actual momentum to bring back the fairness doctrine for real. And yet here are the same people, in some cases, the exact same people who were screaming about how awful uh, and intrusive the fairness doctrine was in terms of broadcast television and radio, who are suddenly saying, well, we should basically have a fairness doctrine for the entire internet. Yeah, I, I think, you know, you can understand why I think particularly you know, Republican members of Congress are worried about this, you know, and you see a lot of this in the House of Representatives. Uh, there's, a, you know, come up in a lot of the recent hearings with, you know, Twitter's Jack Dorsey or Sundar Pichai from Google or their, you know, members grilling them about, you know, is there bias? Do you have a little guy in a back room tweaking how your search <laughs> algorithm works and making, you know, the last one they were asking, when I Google idiot, a picture of Donald Trump comes up and what's, you know, what's going on there? Uh, are you are you doing that? Right. And one, I think this is patently absurd. Anyone who has sort of a, a vague idea of how search engines work. Right. And, yep. and the other. But you can kind of see why members who are running for reelection every two years, you know, thinking, you know, or I got to use Facebook ads to, to, you know, to win nowadays, right? I got to go run ads on Twitter and I got to use social media to reach people. And, you know, I think that's a scary thought that, that these platforms are all of these liberals in Silicon Valley and that they may be tweaking things to favor the other side. And, you know, though I can see where they're, they're, coming from here and you know like you said silicon valley the bay area is a liberal place san francisco i think voted nine percent for trump like pretty <laughs> pretty low right sure um but like 
is there evidence for this conspiracy theory? Um, you know, I haven't seen really compelling evidence, even though lots of people have asserted these claims. They've largely been based on edge cases or anecdotes. Yeah. Well, let's let's actually look. Um, you know, so you've you've written two articles for us about two different studies, and I there are quotation marks around studies because <laughs> I, don't, I don't think either of them qualify as something I would call rigorous uh, by any normal academic standard. Um, the first one had to do with with uh, Google News, right? So, yeah. um, do do you want to describe kind of what that study said and 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 the issues with it? Sure. So, the, the, I mean, the study looked at, you know, Google News search. So looking for news about Donald Trump and the types of outlets that were covering it. And so mm -hmm. they had, a, you know, a kind of scheme about which outlets are left wing and which outlets were, were right wing. And, you know, you can probably find some some problems with that categorization. But, well, you know, let's say we we grant that and say that the New York Times sure. is left wing and that the Washington Post is left wing and all of the other kind of mainstream places. And so they said, well, you know, there's Fox News and the Wall Street Journal and everything else is a bunch of left wing outlets and that that's inherently not fair. Right. Um, well, again, if you look at how search engines work, I think this becomes like fairly obvious and you're comparing kind of niche right of center outlets like national review, the weekly standard, which existed at the time and was in their survey and since unshuttered, uh, Breitbart, you know, the daily wire, all of these outlets, like they get much, much, much less traffic than the New York times. Right. Right. The wall street journal is, you know, getting, you know, kind of in the same class, uh, foxnews.com gets lots of traffic, but all of these others they, they cite is why aren't these up here in these rankings is, well, they're not as popular. And search engines function by showing you relevant, timely, popular results. And they use, you know, lots of different signals to kind of indicate this. The most, I think, uh, uh, you know, famous one is, is this idea of backlinks or sites linking out to other sites right. and how many, you know. So sort of a proxy for popularity and authority that was developed by Larry Page and Sergey Brin at Stanford in, in the 90s. Um, and so it shouldn't be a surprise, I think, that Breitbart isn't showing up on the first page right next to the New York Times. It's just relatively a much less popular outlet. Right. And so... If you look at this idea that, oh, you know, the results are biased, well, okay, they're biased in a sense that Google is making determinations in an editorial way about what is quality news, but it's not biased in the sense that they're deliberately favoring conservative outlets or, or liberal outlets over conservative outlets. It's just that liberal or mainstream, not conservative outlets are more popular, and those are what's showing up more in the search. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, you know, Tector, we don't 
get very much traffic from Google News, frankly. Uh, I, I wish we got more. I'd like to get more, certainly. But, you know, we, we don't. But I understand that because we're not that big, right? I mean, we're, we're a, a pretty small publication. I don't expect that Google News is going to list us above, you know, the New York Times or, or other large publications. In fact, if they did, I would actually worry that something was wrong with Google News. <laughs> they, they would favor some of our stories over, over others, even if, even if I might enjoy the, the traffic. Um, well, I'm sure if we're, we're searching for news about copyright policy, it'll be <laughs> on the first page. Yes, there are there are some cases where we do occasionally get get some traffic from them, and and I think right. I, I think in 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 our existence, we've been sort of you know on the front page where suddenly we've gotten a flood of traffic from from Google News, maybe twice. Um, right. You know, and and in both cases, it was for like two minutes. You know. Right. <laughs> but, so, I mean, going back to this story uh so i mean this is a write-up that was done in this site called pj media which is a right of center uh blog yep. and this was picked up by fox news and then the president tweeted about it and talk you know kind of each each write-up of this each iteration of this was sort of more spiraling into hyperbole <laughs> and out of control and i think you know the the rumor was at least that there was this executive order i don't remember if you saw that, that you know came out of this because right. they wanted to you know trump tweeted that the media is rigged and biased against him and they're going to do something about it right like is it a they're, they're going to like take some action against the big liberal tech companies and at least there was a a a draft you know, executive order to punish big tech, uh, I think kind of came out of this conversation, if I remember. Right. Yeah, it was, yeah, there were all sorts of questions about, about that. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, it was never going to go anywhere. I mean, it couldn't, it, it literally, you know, I mean, there are all sorts of constitutional, even if the, yeah, even if they're, even if you think they're biased, you know, search engines, like, can say what they want, right? First Amendment kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and you know, there is this kind of funny thing where, like, you know, when you're talking about search engines in particular, um, and and this has come up in other contexts. I mean, certainly um, in the in the net neutrality fight, you know, AT and T for a long time was pushing this idea of. Uh, search neutrality and, mm -hmm. and claiming, you know, search bias. And that was a very, very cynical uh, attempt to... to... Is, is this news about net neutrality or how... No, they were just saying, like, they they were just saying, like, if uh, if the government is going to force us to be neutral in terms of the content that we carry oh. across our network... Yeah. Search engines should be forced to be neutral in terms of the coverage that they do, which is makes no sense, right? I mean, it's just pure nonsense, right? The whole idea behind a search engine is there is bias, right? It it should be biased towards you know relevance and quality. It's, yeah, it's biased in the sense that it's making a determination about what quality and relevance is for the user that's doing the search. Exactly. Right? So, like, you if could it, have you know, you know, right wing Google and right wing Google, you know, weights, you know, conservative <laughs> outlets more or it sure. weights, you know, the term free market more or some you know, any kind of thing you could imagine. I mean, you can envision search engines working in all kinds of different ways. It's just that, you know, Google has become the most successful one by being pretty good at like yielding results that's, you know, relevant to what users want. 
Right. But but by their very nature, right? I mean, they have to rank things, you know, 1 to 10 or 1 to 100 in terms of what they think is most relevant. And they're right. going to use a whole bunch of different signals. And, you know, if some of those signals show up stuff that, that people don't like, I mean, that that's not, you know, that's not about political bias on the part of, of the companies. Um, I mean, right. that they, I mean go ahead. you know, I mean, I think I, I there if I were making the argument you know, for the, the people, you know, people on the right making this argument. You know, I think the people on the progressive side of the universe have had much more sophisticated, you know, critiques of algorithmic bias that uh-huh. you know, they, they could have done. I mean, the, the argument here that PJ Media made was like very crude, like more sophisticated version, if I were to sort of steel man that for them, would be that, you know, they're not deliberately biased, but the way they sure. rank priority you know, subtly works to, you know, disenfranchise minority voices because it only has the big mainstream outlets at the top. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that, okay, that might you know. be, yeah, that might be a fair criticism. Um, but that's, that's a different kind of issue than like, you know, purpose, purposeful bias on the part of the Silicon Valley companies, um, right. you know, I mean, my favorite part from the the hearings, um, and you know, it, it was odd that it was like a, a Democrat Ted Lieu who you know gave a, a rousing talk in support of free markets and the right. ability of companies to determine for themselves how they want to develop their things. Uh, but but you know, one of the things that he pointed out was like if you're upset about um, you know your name as a congressman showing up around, you know, uh, associated with, with stupid things, stop doing stupid things or saying right. stupid things. And there's, you know, there's an element of truth to that. You know, well, I so. remember, I think Steve King was active in this particular hearing yeah. too. And, you know, you want to talk about people with Google problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the other study, the second study, um, sure. which is a little more recent uh, that that you also wrote about, and was another, uh, you know, uh, smoking gun, as they seem to think, uh, and this time right. about about Twitter. Yeah, I think I saw Prager you had a sort of online poll that I, I think we were talking about the other day, where they're asking which which online platform is the most biased against conservatives yeah. and twitter was like at least at the time like vastly dominating this poll and, and, and i mean the poll was on twitter right? it was on twitter yeah. yes. so they can't be silencing conservatives that much but, <laughs> right. um, so you know there's you know there are a number of high profile people kicked off of twitter at one point or another on the you know conservative-ish side right um yeah. And, you know, this study, you know, had a methodology where it it sort of tried to find all of the people who were, you know, suspended or either temporarily suspended or permanently kicked off of Twitter since Twitter was founded, who had expressed a position in the 2016 presidential election. So they were either out for Trump or out for Hillary and... Uh, you know, that their, uh, you know, suspension from Twitter was picked up in some kind of a, a news outlet, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so the the data set that they compiled, I suppose if you can call it that, was um, 22 accounts 
and they, you know, put the data up online in an Excel sheet. This was uh, published for the site Quillette. Um, and, you know, the title was, you know, it isn't your imagination. Twitter treats conservatives more harshly than liberals was the mm -hmm. conclusion, right? The top line billing for this. And so, you know, I saw some of my people, some of my friends who I follow uh, on Twitter kind of arguing about this online on the Internet. And I was like, oh, someone's wrong on the Internet. I'm going to go <laughs> look into this and write about it. Um, and so looking at the data, I emailed the author and said, oh, is this, you know, am I looking at this right? Because their data set online was actually bigger than the 22. It had a bunch of other people they collected hmm. in the process. Um I was like, oh, you know, using your criteria, here are the ones that I identified, you know, that look like the people you're talking about. Is that right? No? Yeah, that's right. So um, the striking thing about the accounts is, like, none of them are really mainstream conservatives in the conventional right. sense. They're, the closest thing is probably Roger Stone, who was a Trump <laughs> advisor and a bit of a character who's in, 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 under indictment right yes, and now. Um, and then the rest of them, there's people like David Duke and the <laughs> literally like the American Nazi party's Twitter account. Yes. And if you look at all the others, it's like all the kind of who's who of alt-right, you know, white nationalists, neo-confederates, like really not people at least I would associate as being kind of conventional libertarians or conservatives and right. so i think it's a real leap to go here to you know what was, the, what was the headline you know conservatives are treated harshly on twitter right yeah like, i mean wow. one of one of your examples is the american nazi party <laughs> I, I, it just seems like you know i don't know that they would qualify as as a traditional conservative organization, unless un unless yeah. your view of, of traditional conservatives are that they're Nazis, which I mean, there may be some people out there, but I would like to think that that is not an accurate portrayal of American conservatism. Last I checked, there's there's uh, you know no one no one in Congress from that particular political party. Um, yeah. But you know, these are certainly like fringe cases, and you can say, well, these people should have. You know, we should have we should have like broader norms of free speech and these people should be allowed to speak, even if we think what they're saying is wrong and offensive. And, you know, I'm sympathetic to that view as a sure. norm, not saying that the government should come in and you know mandate that Twitter has to keep Nazis. Because you know, if you look, the other thing is you look at their data sheet, they, they list reasons for why these individuals were suspended or banned. And in almost every case, there's something like harassing people or targeting abuse or doxing or doing racist right. slurs. Like it's not only that they're Nazis it's that they're Nazis who are <laughs> harassing people. Right? right. And you know, as what, that's what Nazis do. Right. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I'm sure I think there are probably a couple of cases on here where it's a little fuzzier and maybe they didn't deserve to get suspended or maybe it was politicized. I don't know. Grant that. I haven't, looked into every single case on here and personally like i said i mean i'm more sympathetic to the idea that we should you know let people speak and let the you know you know provide i think you wrote about this in one of your articles is that the options aren't just banning people or, or not banning right. people yeah right that you have all of these mechanisms 
you can have some version of safe safe search by default like google has where you right. you know by default filter all the nazis out and then if you want to set your settings so i want to see the nazis too then you can you can turn that on and fine right like yeah i mean there's there's a there's a whole spectrum of things and and i i actually agree and i think that and i've argued this for many years i think the company should be a lot more um you know willing to explore other options rather than simply you know take down or or leave up but none of that is suggests that that you know they have the right to take people down that's you know these are private platforms and and... more than that like if we're talking about like you know being pro-market right you see like why a platform like twitter has a self-interest in you know taking suspending you know david duke or the american nazi party (laughs) for hurtling racist slurs at people right? right like that makes a bad experience for other people on the platform and, and, and drives users away and drives advertisers right. away. And so there's a, a perfect free market explanation for why companies might want to, you know, ban. And, and, and this is the thing that got me about that, that list was that, you know, while, while many of the people on the list certainly, you know, expressed support for, uh, well, Republican candidates, I, I, I wouldn't even say they supported, uh, traditional conservative views, because I, I think a lot of the stuff they were supporting would not really be traditionally considered conservative. But like, almost all of them were involved in, in exactly as you said, sort of like harassment or just outright trolling. I mean, they were they right. were trying to spark outrage for the sake of getting attention. Um, right. And like, like Laura Loomer. Yes. Is on there, who's <laughs> famous for you know, chaining herself to the Twitter building, (laughs) you know, was kicked off by like 10 different like platforms, including like Teespring, which I think you (laughs) use to make t-shirts. Yeah, we do. I didn't Uh, know that. Like how you get kicked off a t-shirt company. (laughs) I can't even imagine what that takes. Yeah, that, that takes effort, but you know, but it's all, you know, it, it does feel like so much of this is about, you know, uh, outrage in order to build right. a brand, right? And so, you know, in fact, you know, I, many of the people who were kicked off have sort of leveraged being kicked off as part of their identity, uh, right. uh, you know, to, to be outraged. And it's not, you know, uh, but, but you know, even even if we were to accept that, that, you know, most of these that were kicked off were more conservative, you know, we're still talking about 22 accounts, right? And so, right. you know, there are, I don't even know how many accounts Twitter has right now, but you know, like millions, many, yeah, yes, many millions, many, many hundreds of millions at least, and and you know, the idea that it somehow is is out there trying to silence conservative voices, um, right. you know, again, like needs more evidence that actually supports that as opposed right. to this right. sort of very oh. very weak study. Yeah, and I think you know, certainly like your average user who's being right-leaning and they, if they get suspended, they're not going to get written up in the news. It's the like weirdos who are going to get written up in the news. And the, and also the sort of fringe people who scream and yell about getting banned like Laura Limber. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, there's a legitimate gripe here maybe about the sort of transparency and process that sure. platforms have. Yep. Um, that, you know, we the again i think the steel man version of this argument right is that platforms are opaque they kick off people often for 
political reasons because they're public figures and under some amount of like pressure um, and that they don't really have consistent standards that they apply evenly and that maybe that, you know, more adversely affects right-leaning people than left-leaning people because of the political pressure that happens being in a San Francisco company. And, you know, I would find that plausible. Sure. I, you know, on the other hand, I want to see evidence that that's the case, right? right. Better than this 22 mostly alt-right <laughs> people you yeah. know, data set. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, you know, one of the things that I've certainly talked about a lot is I think that these companies need to learn how to be more transparent about their content moderation decisions. And, and a lot of them are, are at least moving somewhat, taking, I would say, baby steps in that direction. Um, and I think they could do a lot more in terms of transparency about how things are going. But if you're to actually look at, you know, you would need to like have a real data set, a large data set that actually looks at how many people are you know, banned or, or, you know, had their accounts cut off and for what reasons and to have, you know, maybe like an independent outside researcher who is able to mm -hmm. go through that data and look at it and say, what were the reasons for this? How many of them had anything to do with politics? Um, right. And how many, you know, were not, were for harassment or banning or whatever. And I, I think that would be a really useful thing. And I think it would mm -hmm. be great if like Twitter were willing to open up that data set to, to an academic or something. Yeah, um, no, no, I totally agree. Um, I think you might find some interesting things and you might find some like weird, unexpected things. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm, I am just, I'm curious in general. I mean, I think it would be great if somebody could get access to the data set, but, um, but you know, that, but what's the, the upside for Twitter to do that? None. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe to kill off this, this constant pervasive story of, of bias right. against conservatives. But that wouldn't um, kill it. You know. Yeah, probably not. And of course, you know, I'm sure whatever if they gave it to some academic, then suddenly people would claim that you know it was a, a leftist academic who had it and was biased in their own analysis, <laughs> and uh, and it would be tough to to you know if people are convinced of something, they are. But, but you know, the thing that's so that really gets me, and we we've sort of hinted at this and, and touched on it a few times in this discussion, is like how against the sort of stated principles of, you know, free market conservatism, this whole area of complaint seems to be, you know, I, I, it, I'm, I'm sort of at a loss to, to, you know, and, oh. and I, I've, go ahead. Um, I was gonna say like, I, I don't, I don't agree that it's, it's a, it's a problem for free market conservatism Insofar as what your complaint is that their their norms around speech are bad, right? I think that's a totally fair thing to say, or to say that okay. they're you know, they're not they're not permissive enough to speech, and they ought to be better. Um, I think where you cross the line is you say we need you know the government to come in and and mandate that you allow everyone on, or we're going to make you open to lawsuits or whatever, right? Right. Um, yeah, but I mean, so, so I guess you could argue that there are two conflicting interests there, right? So you have the, the, the question of, of speech, how supportive are, of, are you for speech and speech, um, and free expression being something that, you know, well, people across the political divide sh should support though, you know, it's, it's been attacked from both sides at times. Um, but like. I mean, traditional conservative free market values do include the idea of like private enterprises being able to determine how they run their own business in general, right? Right, right. 
So like I, I it, it, you know, and I keep seeing arguments which which stun me too. And maybe this is even going a little further, where people argue, well, well, you know, Twitter and Google and Facebook or whatever are different because they sort of become you know the de facto public square right. is usually the the phrase that's used. And right. um, again, like those are the kinds of arguments that used to not be used from, from conservatives uh, and used to be mocked by many conservatives, in fact, when, when that was used in other contexts, including like, you know, whether or not uh, uh, a private mall is a is a public square, right? I mean, that that was seen as an attack on conservatism and, mm -hmm. and free markets. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, you know, I, I think a lot of like, even like libertarian oriented people are starting to take that sort of like public square view of the world on yeah. this issue and i get where they're coming from right and i think there's some nugget of of truth there that we need to be more sophisticated about how we think about these sort of network effects and competition mm -hmm. problems as more speech is going into these digital platforms right because i think it's certainly like not a good scenario where all speech happens in a digital medium and then there are 10 different layers of infrastructure that can, you know, veto or control that. I think, sure, you know, but we're not in that dystopian scenario now. It's, it's, there are lots of other avenues for people. It's, yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, and, and it touches on different areas of policy that are important. I mean, you know, competition policy is one that is also hot and, and touches on a lot of this too, right? I mean, if, if part right. of the argument is that, you know, there isn't enough competition and you have, you know, antitrust or monopoly situations, and that is part of the problem. If there's a single, single point of failure that, that decides who can speak and who cannot. Um, right. Then you know, okay, like I, I get that argument, and that you know, I definitely have concerns about that. Um, I'm I'm not convinced that we're at that point yet. I mean, I think that yeah. yeah, you know, even all of these conservatives who have been censored seem to have pretty good methods for getting their voice out there through other means. Um, you know, well, it, it, and again, like a lot of the people who are complaining about this are complaining about it on Twitter or on Facebook <laughs> and a lot of the people on this list of 22 people are back on Twitter, right? They yeah. were suspended temporarily and now they're back. And some of them are pretty notorious, right? Yeah. Like yeah. Richard Spencer is on there, right? After <laughs> right. Suspended. Like, you know, like they, they, they actually like pushed it like, you know, fairly far in some instances. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that I think that's true. So, I mean, wh where do you think this goes? I mean, do you think do you think that anyone is really serious about trying to push a law to to do something about this, or do you think no. that's all kind of grandstanding for for votes you know, or whatever? You know, so like I said, I think there's this sort of like fear of how this affects elections that sort of underpins a lot of the rhetoric. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, with your median Republican congressman, um, I think. We're seeing a landscape shift on the right overall that's sort of moving away from market principles and ideology and towards a, a kind of a you know, viewing viewing politics as sort of power and friends and enemies and how do we get our enemies and the people in Silicon Valley who voted nine percent for Trump are definitely in you know, <laughs> the other category right. and so like doing bad short term things to punish them may overcome 
attachments to ideas of you know market competition and limited government and mm. i think that's a dangerous trend that i think will probably continue for a while uh, i don't i mean I, I think that's like a bigger landscape shift that's come with sort of trumpism right. um and that people are realizing i think that you know the sort of limited limited government free market ideology was something that was kept in line by the you know dc intellectual elite on the right and that people you know took the curtain away and you know saw the wizard of oz and realized that he doesn't care about principles and just wants to win right, right. wants to own the libs more than <laughs> they want to uh you know like prop up these sort of economic values um, right yeah I, yeah I, I mean it does feel like some of this is sort of a part of that that same thinking that this is a lot of this is just for show just to get people angry um rather than any sort of legitimate thinking or or having any real in, intent behind it um and I, I i frankly you know i i would be very surprised if any kind of uh, real legal effort succeeded in terms of, especially yeah. on the, on the legislative side. I mean, you could see situations. I, mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I think you'll, sorry, sorry to cut you off. Um, I mean, I think you'll see like each, you know, I think you'll see things being like have marginally worse outcomes, like on the mm -hmm. edges, right? Like you'll have fewer people standing up for principle in these debates, fewer people defending section 230 against the various interests that want to, Right. Erode it, you know. I think maybe you'll see bigger fines from the FTC on some of these platforms, right? Yeah. Um, but like, are you going to see big, heavy-handed regulations coming? No, I don't. I don't think so. In the EU, maybe. Um, right. But longer term, you know, I think the outlook isn't great. As I said, I, I don't think the the you know the language used to sort of talk about some of this stuff on the right is as sophisticated as it should be. And I don't think the solutions that we have, uh, you know, really resonate well with the sort of political base. And so yeah. that creates opportunities for people like Dennis Prager and Tucker Carlson to come in from a kind of right populist perspective and, talk about how big tech is evil and needs to be broken up and is taking away your freedoms, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting to, to, to say that, you know, and there, there, there's plenty of people on the, on the left side of the spectrum who also just hate big tech as well. So there could be a sort of weird, uh, I hate to say bipartisanship <laughs> against, mm -hmm. against technology, but you know, you certainly could see that happen. And I've seen people who are generally identified with, you know, being left leaning, um, think tankers or academics who are cheering on some of the, the complaints of, of bias and power, uh, from, from the right, uh, you know, about big tech. And I, and I, that worries me because you get this sort of not very, uh, you know, fact-based policy making, but you get support on both sides. You could argue that you, you'll see a sort of bipartisan, um, ill-informed decision-making process. Mm -hmm. um, and that that worries me quite a bit. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm also, I, I think that's right. I mean, I think I've seen a lot of people on Twitter lately, you know, on the far left, on the far right, like praising each other in a way that <laughs> makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm all for bipartisanship and seeking actual solutions, but um, I I worry when, when it's just sort of, you know, based on on hype and fear and and craziness mm -hmm. <laughs> as opposed to reality right. um anyways uh this is a topic that i'm sure uh there will be plenty more to discuss in the future and there may be some more uh hopefully better studies but i'm sure there will probably be some more very weak studies in the future and and mm -hmm. zach we may have to have you back <laughs> Uh, on the talk site, both <laughs> on the podcast and on the site, talking about these terrible studies and, and other stuff. But um, uh, it's always fun to talk, and I'm glad that you were able to take the time to to have this conversation. And now we can be yelled at by uh, people who listen for you know uh, I don't know Being for left wing for for left for whatever. Shows. Who knows? Uh, yes, it, it, <laughs> there are all sorts of things that names that that we will get called, um, and it is all part of the fun of being on the internet. Uh, <laughs> but but thanks again for for taking the time uh, and for joining the podcast, and thanks to everyone who has been listening as well. We'll be back next week.